Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Happy holidays, listeners, and welcome to the first of a couple of new episodes this week here on the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me to chat about this riveting story of toxic sexism and how the women at Fox News took down its infamous sexually abusive CEO is my best friend and co-ho-ho-ho-host, Patrick. Oh, gosh, I love it when you do that. Just throwing that kind of stuff in. <laughs> I'm glad this isn't a visual medium because that would just be really uh, embarrassing. Just, yeah, probably. Yeah, that would be the word for that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this weekend, we will be discussing the big new blockbuster, something about space and battle that everyone will be talking about, <coughs> Star Wars. But we were pretty moved by Jay Roach's film about the Fox sexual harassment scandal and just couldn't let this important biopic pass us by. So you get two wonderful new episodes from us this week. Here's your spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Bombshell, we highly recommend that you get out and do that. We know that the theaters are packed with options this time of year. You've got Star Wars. You've got Uncut Gems, a film that is currently battling for a spot in my top 10, top 15 of the year. Uh, bombshell here, this movie that we are talking about. You've got Little Women coming out in a few more days. Spies in Disguise. Come on, everybody. Go see Spies in Disguise. you got Cats. I know you're going to see Cats. So... Listen, a wealth of really good movie options, but Bombshell is one of them, and we hope that you will take the time to get out and see it before you listen to this conversation, or not, because honestly, this is a biopic, and part of the fun about talking about biopics, Patrick, is that they're a little easier, I think, for listeners to engage with a conversation about them, even if they don't see the movie. That being said, it's really so much more than just a biopic <laughs> and it's more about what it's trying to evoke i think than it is a story that is trying to retell historically so all that said this is your warning and don't hold us accountable moving on one word takeaways patrick why don't you get us started buddy oh man i had a plethora of one word takeaways all in the negative and it's not because starting to be like a trend them. Yeah, but this is a negative in that this is truly how we define our podcast. I was talking to a good friend of mine today at lunch, actually, about this episode in particular and about how we do these one-word takeaways to really try to capture how we feel after we finish a movie. And he gave us some some good praise. He said that's a fantastic way to start an episode. I think it speaks to our brand really well. But a movie like Bombshell, I think, is very intentional in how it's supposed to make us feel. And I had three contenders going into this, and I settled for disgusting. I was absolutely feeling disgusted after watching this movie. And it wasn't because it was a bad movie. It was because of what it's doing, the story it's telling, the way in which it tells the story it evokes what I think is the intent of the creators, and that's to make us feel what these women are feeling 
on a number of levels, this discomfort, this sense of confusion and really trying to figure out how they're supposed to fit into this world of men underneath this umbrella of essentially a proponent of conservatism. And so the movie itself is not just about this uh, sexual harassment. It's also about looking at the world of potential hypocrisy when it comes to a, a news network and a representation of a, a side of politics that purports to be something of a moral high ground. And I think what Bombshell does very effectively is in somewhat of a cutting way, it says, nope, this is not it. Hypocrisy was another one of my potential one word takeaways. I felt a lot of that here. Um, wrong was probably the third one. And I, I just, I really settled for disgusting because I think it's disgusting what happened and it's disgusting how I feel as a man because as good as I feel like I am as a, as a male, there's so much that I feel like I could learn from a story like this in how I say what I say, what I say, who I say it to. And, um, it's definitely educational more than anything else, but uh, entertaining nonetheless. All of that, uh, cosine, that's incredibly accurate to my experience with this film as well. And it's part of the reason that I came out of it with such a strong reaction that I said, Patrick, we have to cover this. This is a movie that is very important to me, even if it's not getting the highest of reviews and the best of the buzz, I need you to watch it. And I was so pleased when you came out feeling very similar and you were excited about having this conversation. So that really does make me feel better <laughs> about going through this. I, I'm not alone. It reminds me of the feelings I've had throughout this year going through some of the racial learning that I've done, um, with a lot of it with you as well, and just challenging myself to see things from a different perspective, to try and confront my own history and privilege and innate biases and such. And it was very similar to that, only with a sexism lens instead of a racial one. My one more takeaway was, like I said, very similar to what you came out of this feeling, which is uncomfortable. I came into this story not really knowing much about it, and people kind of looked at me like I was shocked when I would tell them that. And I said, listen, I, I knew the name Megyn Kelly vaguely from when Trump went at her during those debates, but... The truth is I have checked out of politics for the most part since then. I mean, I say checked out. It's not like I'm not voting. It's not like I'm not aware of candidates' positions and, you know, actively fighting for those in which I prefer. But I do not watch the debates and I certainly do not keep up with the news on a daily basis. And so... Um, outside of what I see on Twitter or breaking news updates on my phone uh, or that people tell me about, sometimes I'm going to miss these big stories. And I didn't know about this scandal and Roger Ailes. I didn't even know who Roger Ailes was, okay? I'll just throw that out there straight up. Didn't know who this dude was from Adam, Patrick. Um, He's a and, skis is what he is. He's a well, skis. <laughs> now we know, and that is half the battle. This is a very weird film for me because 
like you said, as much as I was entertained, and I was very entertained by the method in which this story is told, I actually came out of this movie, Patrick, I thought that it was Adam McKay directing it, and I went back and I looked at my notes from the movie, and it has Adam McKay all written all over my notes, and then I found out that Adam McKay did not do this, and I was like, oh, well, okay. Um, but it has that flavor to it and that feel, but I was pleased to say it was felt better than some of the stuff I've seen Adam McKay done. It was done more nuanced, I thought, more restrained, and so, hey, congrats, Jay Roach, because... Um, you really knocked that out of the park, in my opinion. So as much as I was entertained by the way the story was told, I was just so uncomfortable for almost this entire movie and sick to my stomach. And I think that that's the power of this story. Yes, it's about Roger Ailes being brought down and some of the real-life women who bravely made that happen. But I am most grateful for being exposed to the perspective of women who deal with this toxic sexism, harassment, and abuse in their workplace anywhere in the country, not just at Fox News. That was my takeaway. Sometimes it takes, I think, a dramatized, exciting method of storytelling to convey a message that will emotionally resonate with folks in a way that brings about change or brings a, a renewed way of thinking to a person and bombshell made me live in this extremely uncomfortable helpless state for two hours and it really really impacted me i think when you look at a movie like bombshell you have to be able to think of the fact that as a biopic it has to take some creative liberties in order to do that and it's very purposeful in that regard i think that it's dramatized for a reason i think that because you don't include every factual statement that you amplify certain scenes you're not not telling the truth you're giving the truth emotional weight you're connecting an audience to a story instead of to facts and figures watching crime shows that are centered around like courtroom dramas things like that that i've been watching lately one of the things that i'm finding in that storytelling not only inside the narrative itself of the courtroom drama but also from the lawyer's perspective and talking to witnesses, sometimes the strategy is we need to make the jury feel sympathetic. And so we need you to say it like this. We need you to either tell your story in the narrative or we need you to not freak out because we need to gain sympathy from the jury. There is a recognition, Aaron, that when you're trying to convince someone of wrongdoing, whether it's in a legal sense or not, there's an element of emotion that has to attach itself to that person. I saw one scenario in an episode uh, that I was watching of the, one of those crime shows or the courtroom dramas where a woman, and you can probably be sympathetic to this, a woman's cat was killed and it was going to be dismissed. But because the woman approached the, the lawyer personally and told her story, it compelled that lawyer to fight for her as, quote, ridiculous as it was to defend a cat. They found grounds for saying that it was not just wrong to kill, but it was inhumane and it affected the person that was connected to that animal. It's not just, a, it wasn't about the animal's rights. It was about the human rights connected to it. And it, that's a terrible summation of what I experienced. But the point behind that was that the emotional state, the judge, the attorney, they had to connect to it in some way. That was the argument. That was the strategy. And for a film like Bombshell, 
there might be some dramatization. There might be more. So I think the, I think the movie really is unapologetic about that, but it's for purpose because at the end of the day, the truth behind it, that women are sexually harassed, that they're treated the way they are and that it needs to stop are three truths that exist in that movie. Even if they're not going by just the facts, ma'am, they're going in a way that connects you and I to a place where the Central Park Five did for us when it came to understanding racial injustice. And I'm glad you brought that up because when I look at a story like this, I admit that it's challenging for me to connect with the idea of white privilege and, you know, how can I, how can I be an advocate for people of color? That's more, it's a challenging question for me to answer and I'm always going to struggle with it. It gets a little bit easier every day as I uncover more. Being a man and being able to experience a movie like this, I feel like I have a better way in because I'm not denying that I'm a man. <laughs> I can actually make a change. I'm in an environment where I work with women. So there's a constant reminder more obviously to me that I feel like is more tangible. It doesn't make it any more valuable or any more important. It's still a, a fight to be had because I have to think about what I say and how I act in the same way that I think about my relationships with people of color and what they battle with. It's just a different kind of battle and something that I think this is one that I feel naturally more tangible to because of my, my place as a man. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, actually. And, you know, I was gonna save this question for the end, but <laughs> you've kind of triggered it right here is that's part of what this movie leaves me with is a question around where do you go with from here with all these feelings like what do you do when this movie makes you feel this way and we've asked that same question when we've talked about things like the central park five or when they see us we get very upset we get very sad we get very angry and it's like what do you do to affect change in a way that is actual tangible and meaningful and you can absolutely and this is another element of a movie that I think provokes me to want that. It makes me want to to operate differently in my daily life in a way where I can say I am actively, in a sense, anti-racist, anti-sexist. I am actively doing things to fight against allowing this sort of environment to ever exist anywhere that I have been. That is my goal. Um, and now, and not that it, I think, ever hasn't been. It's one of those things that I think you and I both would say we would tell people freely that we support women and that we would feel that we are doing that. But some of the things you see in this are very eye-opening. And it was, again, similar to some of the learning that I've done around racial equity and such, where I have learned that certain mannerisms, certain responses, things that I might say, I believe there is nothing wrong with them, but now I have seen them in a different context and, and I'm going to get to some, we're going to get to some specifics in this movie that represent that, but that really show this is what it's going to be doing to the person on the other side that you cannot understand. That's what, that's what's so important about this is coming from the female perspective, even yeah. though it's directed by a man. And I know that there was some beef about that <laughs> around uh, folks talking before the movie came out, of course, because that's when the most bashing happens. It seems like that people want to kind of write stuff off 
for reasons of uh, before it ever happens. But Charlize Theron wanted this story told, and she picked Jay Roach to do it. So this was not a matter of him deciding he was going to do this thing. Like he was an integral part of this and all of the women involved had input. She was a producer. This is not him pulling the strings. And I think it's very obvious that he's not the perspective. The directors is not the one that we're necessarily getting. And it changes completely the way in which we're able to emote or yeah, you know, just resonate with this movie. So the film acknowledges at the start that this is dramatized. Appreciate that. And that it's not entirely accurate. I wouldn't know because I don't know the details. In, we ask this question all the time, but I want to ask it in context of kind of this movie. Is that problematic when retelling historical events? This story? More so, I want to ask you, how do you think that they handled dramatizing events in this film in a way that maintained their very specific point of view and kept it balanced so that it never felt preachy. At least it did not, to me, ever feel from a, from a political sense. Um, and so when I left this, Patrick, and I was giving my very, very first reaction to the marketing rep who was there at the press screening and that we have to say something about every movie. And I said, I absolutely love this. And I'm really concerned or sad, I guess, because I don't think that anyone who needs to see this is ever going to watch this movie because I think they've already made up their mind about what they're going to see. So the way this story is told, do you think it has value for those? Do you think it can even draw those people in? I think it has value, but I think you're right. One of the questions I asked was, will bombshell trigger people? <laughs> and the question, the answer is yes. I think it will trigger. What a great pun. Yes. It will, <laughs> in a sense, maybe not, not the greatest, but a good one. But I think it, I think it will on both sides of these, uh, of this issue where you'll have a certain group that will say, this is purely dramatization. It couldn't have happened this way. They're making this stuff up. This is fake news. And then the other side of that, which is, heck yeah, I'm glad this story is being told. I think both of those approaches are a little bit unhealthy because movies should not be a means for us to advocate something necessarily, at least not primarily. Movies should be something we go to for entertainment purposes primarily. And then on a secondary level, maybe a tertiary level, become educated, become informed in order to spark conversation if this movie wasn't a movie that i enjoyed like my experience of it wasn't good in terms of making me feel something genuine sparking conversation or at the very least making me walk out going wow i don't know that it did its job because i wouldn't want to talk about a movie that was boring to me i wouldn't want to talk about a movie that um made me feel like i was stupid I would want to have a movie that trusted me as an audience to figure things out that would be honest with me about its intent, which is what you mentioned. And I would want a movie that is telling me a story unapologetically because that's what it is. It's a story. It might be based on true events, 
But I have to realize, even in documentaries, honestly, Aaron, there's a slant to that. There's always going to be a story. You may not be able to figure it out immediately. Documentaries are different because you're capturing all of this footage. Your story may change over time. You may go in trying to elevate a, a restaurant in terms of giving it all this high praise. And as you're filming, you find roaches on the floor. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is a new story. This is more interesting. And it could turn into that. It's really up to the creator to do that. Biopics are the same way, except they have a lot more liberty because they can say, look, this is a story we want to tell. We're going to put these facts in here. We're going to create these composite characters to represent this and that. And when you're honest about those things as an audience, I respect that more than anything else because it's up to me to be able to have a conversation about it later, to think about those things later, to go on the internet, to talk to authoritative people and say, what really happened? How did this really go down? Not even so I could fact check, but so I can understand really the, the, the facts about the thing. What the movie does, specifically what Bombshell does, is it gets me into the mindset of Megyn Kelly. It gets me into the mindset and the experience of Gretchen Carlson. And it gets me into the mindset and the experience of all these other women that, that Margot Robbie plays as Kayla Pop, Possible? I can't remember her last name. It's a weird last name. So it's effective. And I think that it's almost necessary to be a little bit more loose with your story because just giving me facts, just giving me figures, just giving me the here's what happened and the here's what happened and the here's what happened doesn't get me connected. I need to be able to connect with these people in order to care about the story. It's why we love hero stories. It's like we, it's why we love these sports dramas like Rocky and Apollo. It's, it's why we love movies that we can get behind a hero and we can root against a villain because it makes sense. Biopics are probably the most ambitious because they use real people with dramatization and they allow us to kind of get into that world for a couple of hours and leave going, wow, I didn't know that man, I'm a better person for that. What's next? And Bombshell, I think, is probably one of the more effective ones because it's something that still happens today. It's something that you and I, as people in the workforce, people that lead others that are over subordinates, have a responsibility to articulate that and to be able to say, no, this stops now. Or am I saying something that's going to come across as offensive? Because more than anything, Bombshell allowed me to understand that I have to be very careful about what I say, even if it's innocent in my mind. It could be taken out of context. I need to be careful with that. Yes, and it's not because you need to avoid getting in trouble. That is one of the biggest takeaways for me is it's not about I need to not say this thing because, my God, I could get taken to HR and I could get blown out of proportion. No. You should not say this thing because this is how it makes a woman feel. And this is what you may really be saying when you're not even realizing what you're saying. Like a lot of the started starting stuff um, that we get where Ailes is talking about the legs and the I think Bill O'Reilly has a comment or at one point uh, Jess is talking to Kayla and she tells her that 
Bill says a you know viewer friendly demographic or a demographically friendly woman, and she writes on her piece of paper that means hot, right? So it's not even necessarily the words we say; it's the intent behind them. Uh, it's the way in which this culture is created. That's one of the things I took away from this movie was being able to see those behind the scenes of what it would be like for this to marinate over time. It's not just about Roger, right? It's about so many more men and and, enti- and not just the men, which we'll get to later, that accepted all this contract and this way of going about life in the workplace. And they just accepted that this is the way it was. When I saw this, I got really upset because I thought about my daughter who's, you know, she's in college now. She's a few years away from the workforce still probably as far as like a corporate setting. But I actually watched it for the second time with her with with me. Um, and I did that intentionally because I wanted her to be able to see what it was like for these women and to understand, you know, that it, it's hard to stand up against that, and, but that it can be done if anything was to ever happen. And... Of course, I pray it doesn't. Um, but that was important to me, you know, and I, I couldn't help but think about that. And I, and I also just felt so surprised because I've not ever thought that I experienced this. And I probably have. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I can't immediately say, well, I remember back in 2015, Patrick, when Bob walked over to Susie and put his hands on the... So when you go through sexual harassment training in any job... A lot of times you'll watch these little videos, right? Or <laughs> you're you're giving me the great face right now. Um, or you go through a PowerPoint or whatever. And they show you, you know, Bob coming up to Susie and he's talking about, hey, have you got that report for me? And he puts his hand on her shoulders and starts massaging them. It's all done in a way that is so cheesy that you immediately roll your eyes and tune it out because it's not something you actually see happen on a regular basis in the modern workforce what we see in this movie is much more what i feel is realistic to what you would see in the modern workforce and that's important and i think that part of displaying it in this entertaining often comedic in a very biting comedic way is to make us think and go oh crap that's actually sexually harassment or whatever you know it is does not allow us to check out of what we see happening because we're bored or because we think it's silly or we think it's stupid and that is why i don't mind any sort of liberties taken with the way the story is told and the way that things are portrayed to us and i actually absolutely adore the fourth wall breaking in the beginning of this movie and throughout, but specifically the opening of this film is one of the best of the year. I just love it. Walking around the building of Fox, getting to learn the layout, getting to know what it's like, not just introducing us to the characters, which is a brilliant way to do that, but getting so much backstory. Roger, he's the second floor. That's why they call him this. And then we just, it's like going on a tour and it is like the most Adam McKay thing ever, but it's better than anything Adam McKay has ever done. That opening sequence. 
Let me let me say a couple of things to that. First of all, I wrote in my notes, bombshell should be the sexual harassment training that every company watches. Hey, I'm glad we're on the same page still. <laughs> and, and the reason why, Aaron, is because it balances the ability to entertain and educate at the same time. What you talked about with those PowerPoints, with those cheesy videos, we've had that frustration at our company because we were actually – our department, my department that I run now – Several years ago, we were asked to come up with sexual harassment training. And I kid you not, we wrote – now, granted, it was PowerPoint, so we weren't doing any like major like video or like these scenario-based things. But the things we wrote and the imagery that we used was considered controversial because it was cutting. It was like, this is serious business. More often than not, my belief is that companies that produce this stuff are doing it so they don't get in trouble less than they're going out to educate their people on what it means to value each other in the workplace, specifically when it comes to being sexually harassed. And yeah. I think when you look at Bombshell, you're able to glean that because we're intelligent human beings and we're entertained. So we're engaged for these two hours that start with that opening sequence and finish with your typical this is what happened and this is what's, you know, what we should be looking going forward. I agree. I absolutely agree with that opening monologue that Charlize Theron does as Megan Kelly, which by the way, her, her dialect, I just love. I pulled up a video of Megan Kelly just to see kind of how authentic it was. Man, she, she nails it. But there's, it's incredible. Some, but there's something really interesting that I'm going to reiterate that you said with regard to just the, acceptance of a culture that comes in a little small bit of her tour around Fox. Well, it's actually two. One, she takes pride in the fact that she works with these great people down on the first floor in the newsroom where they're below the city. So it smells like sewage and, but they haven't had rats in four months or they haven't seen rats in four months. And they're, she does a little like fun fist pump whenever they cheer that's a, in a, in a funny way, that's accepting the culture. I'm not, you know, this world's not beneath me. I'm beneath this world, literally. But then there's this really interesting thing that I picked up when I watched it where she's walking down the hall on the second floor and she says, when people talk about the second floor, they're talking about, quote, Roger or one of his yes men VPs. She's walking down the hall and I don't know who it is, but someone says, that's a great dress, Megan. And she goes, thanks. And he goes, no, really, I mean it. And she pauses and there's a beat and she looks at us breaking that fourth wall and she goes, he's not horny. He's just ambitious. And yep. she grins when she says that. And I focused on that and I said, wait a minute, hold on. What is, is she saying that this is okay? What he's doing? Is she saying that he knows what he's doing? That what he's saying can be offensive? Is she taking offense to it? And so in that moment, I'm starting to kind of process all this stuff that's going on that I think the the narrative is going to try to get me to flesh out what's okay, what's not okay, because that's really ambiguous. She didn't seem to have a problem with it. And then we cut. Oh, I love this. Then we cut to Gretchen and her footage that she's showing her attorneys and all the things that are being said to her. At first glance, I'm like, there's nothing wrong with that. They're complimenting her on her dress. Right. But, but then when you put it back to back to back to back, and then you hear her little comments 
back to them and how they completely ignore her. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And you pay attention to her reaction for once. Instead of, again, the feminine POV is what was so powerful to me because I've said those things, Patrick, and I've said them what I believed was harmlessly. But I said them without ever any really regard for the face, the facial expression that I got back in return, the the sort of cringe, the sort of discomfort, the obvious movement away from someone. You know, I'm sure that I've done that unintentionally without even knowing it. And that is what is so perfectly conveyed here because everybody thought it was the norm. And I don't, I agree. I don't think Megan is telling us it's accepted as much as it's, well, it is accepted. Not that it's okay. It's accepted. There's a difference in, I, I want to say a difference in acceptance and acceptance. <laughs> There's a difference in standing behind something and considering it to be right and accepting it as this is just the way it is. The acting, I agree, is amazing. And since we don't usually talk about like technicals and we don't go into always like these categories of, oh, let's talk about the acting in every movie. It is very standout here. And for me, there's a reason that I nominated this movie nine times during the Seattle Film Critics Award process. It didn't win any of them. I was one of the only people that was really behind this film or maybe maybe enough of us didn't watch it. I don't know. But the ensemble here across the board is fantastic specifically Charlize Theron she is Oscar worthy she is right there at I mean I will be rooting for her I will be cheering if she wins an Oscar for this performance I just will she's wearing eight prosthetics Patrick and that is to complete that look and to in the accent as well and to really give it her all and it is uncanny how much she gets into the character Gretchen, played by Nicole Kidman, also. And they all present a different level of pathos and a whole unique progression of character, whether they start very strong and ultimately find themselves having to let go of some of the power that they've had, whether they are you know, quietly vulnerable or not, whether they're naive and then, you know, having that layer peeled back and their eyes opened to what really is happening, such as Kayla. All those those three key performances are amazing. I love all of the supporting performances, though, as well, especially Kate McKinnon as Jeff. I thought she was really fantastic. And John Lithgow, we'll talk about him later. Um, but in line with this whole documentary versus changing of history type of conversation, Kayla she is the composite character in this film. I immediately Googled Kayla's name when I walked out of the theater, Patrick, because I didn't know she was fake. I had no earthly idea. I thought that was a real person. My opinion of the movie was elevated when I found out she was not a real person and that she was representative of the totality of women at Fox News or supposed to be representative of kind of any number of women who go through this experience and she's the key to this whole thing. And that's why I say it's not really necessarily just about these two, these, these two women, Megan Kelly and Gretchen Carlson taking down Roger Ailes. It's about Kayla. It's almost Kayla's story. If you ask me and because Kayla is the every woman in this story, very few people watching this movie are Megan Kelly 
or Gretchen Carlson. 90% of them can relate to Kayla. Probably. That's my takeaway and my thought. One of the most blatant acts of sexual harassment we see of the many and constant is Roger's first meeting with Kayla in which he asks her to pull up her skirt. And we have to talk about this moment. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. Like I literally have a lump in my throat talking about this scene and, and even remembering it in my head because of how it made me feel. It is a pretty uncomfortable scene to say the least. And I'm wondering what you thought about how it was filmed and what did it making us sit through this experience accomplish? There's something to be said about the lack of things in a scene that allow you to focus on the important things. When I watch old movies, uh, particularly ones from like the 90s or TV shows from the 90s, I find that the drama tends to try to get elevated by music, elevated by lingering shots, close-ups, things that force you to feel something that really kind of take away your trust as an audience because it's saying you need to focus on this. It's the it's the the technique where you have a scene that ends and then there's a slow tight close up of a glass of water with a lipstick stain on it and you're like, "Oh, what does that mean?" Um it compels you. What I think this scene did besides make me feel gross watching it is the fact that I felt gross watching it that I was sitting in that on that couch participating in it because that scene it wasn't like we were watching a sexual act play out we weren't watching a scene of two people making love or making out we were watching someone watching someone else we were peeping in on a peeping tom but he wasn't peeping he was literally watching the lack of music the wide shots there's a there's a low angle shot i think of looking at roger with his and i'm i'm just going to be very blunt with his legs open just sitting there looking at her and i couldn't help but just think oh my gosh i don't even want to think about what is going on in your mind or body right now cuz this is just really you're <laughs> you're old you're gross you're whatever and it just made me feel so helpless. Like I wanted to be able to say, get out of there, Kayla. What are you doing? And the fact that we didn't have music, the fact that we saw her not sensually hike up her skirt, but pull it up very uncomfortably, very timidly, and then have him just get even quieter and quieter and quieter every time he would say more and then he'd say more. And then I think at one point he just kind of nodded and like put his finger in the air to kind of say, you know, keep going. And it all starts Aaron with this, ugh, this line <laughs> news is a visual medium. I need to check out the goods essentially. And <laughs> On some level, I guess you could 
say he's got cojones for being that blunt, but at the same time, you're like, no, this is wrong. I mean, this is absolutely wrong. And then to, to, to leave that scene to finish the movie and then to find out that Kayla represents not one, but many women that this happened to, it just made it more heavy for me. And I felt like I didn't want to go back and watch that scene because I felt as if I was participating in it, even if it was involuntarily. But by sitting there and watching the scene, it made me feel as though I was voluntarily supporting what he was doing. And that's incredibly effective. Yeah, it's awful and easily one of the hardest two minutes of movie I've sat through this year, if ever. Like you said, the no sound is what stuck out to me big time um, right away. You hear Roger's growing heavy breathing and it is awful, just awful. Margot Robbie's acting in this scene is incredible and courageous as heck. Um, the way in which she shows us what it's like for someone to become that vulnerable and to go through that process of yes or no, am I going to do this? Am I not going to do this? And there's a moment where, you know, she is just staring at the screen or not. Sorry. not staring at the screen. She's staring at the sky She's unable to look at him and it's just, it's just so hard to watch. And I personally, you know, I'm thinking of every woman in my life that I care about being in that situation and it's, it's terrifying to me. And another thing that really stood out to me was at the end, it's all over. And she says, I'd appreciate it if you didn't mention this. And this is so, so important, Patrick. And this is where I think sexual harassment training tends to fall short. It's not giving you this perspective of it. What happens is Roger says, I'm discreet, but forgiving. And he says, I need you to find a way to prove your loyalty to me. What he does is he immediately uses this act that he just generated against her and he uses it to control her and to make her feel shame for the thing that he had her do. And now it's a power move and that's, it's all about power. It is about control and power. Obviously it's not about the sex always, not at this stage of his life. And it's, it's terrible. It is so terrible. And, and yes, you get hints of offering the promotion, the career gain, the benefits, of course, if she keeps it up. And it's just, oh, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, if, if you tell someone you're going to see Margot Robbie in her panties in this movie, I think that it's a really powerful choice because Margot Robbie is a sex symbol in the Hollywood industry. And that is just a, that's a fact. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Her last role was once upon a time in Hollywood in which she's playing a starlet, right? 
And so here we flip the script and there is, this is the least sexy scene you would ever see. And I wanted nothing more than to turn my eyes away. And I, I immediately wanted to find out more about this scene. It was so important to me. Um, and it's also awful. I think how it continues the whole display of what this act means for her and means for any woman when she goes to Jess, the one person she feels is a safe place for her and a friend to, to rely on. And Jess says, it'd be better if you don't tell me what happened. I don't want to get involved. And that broke my heart. Like, I mean, it shattered into pieces in that moment for her because now she's alone. She's controlled. She is completely broken down. And we have watched the process of all of those harassment videos. And like when you get checkboxes of these are the things that an abuser may do to gain control of you. But we've watched it happen. And yeah. now it's real to us. Yeah. There's a line that Megan says that kind of reinforces how Jess responded when she says, it's nobody's job to protect you, Kayla. And I don't know how I feel about that. I still don't know how I feel about that because it speaks to probably the culture of that network, the culture that that Roger has incited and has spread like a poison to other individuals in the company. And because that's a normal thing, it doesn't make it okay, obviously, but it's, it's incredibly conflicting. And when you're somebody like Kayla who feel like you're completely alone in that, what do you do? There's two options. You either leave or you submit and it's terrible. Yeah, no, I mean, it is, it is. And that's the thing, like, it's not a position I don't think we're ever going to experience on our own outside of watching something like this. And that's what makes it, I think, helpful to us as viewers. So like I said, I, I did research on this because I wanted to know what was going on. And Jay Roach said this was scary for them, that they knew it had to be in the movie. They knew this was an important moment. There were no rehearsals. There was a 20-minute phone conversation about it after reading the scene, and they just did it. Lithgow said this. He said, in fact, nothing happens. We don't even touch each other. Once this little moment of violation, this interaction between them comes to an end, we sit back down and we continue talking as if it never happened. And she walks back to her office cubicle and there's this look on her face of what just happened. Something has just been taken away from me and I barely knew it was happening and I can never get it back. And that is how harassment operates. He's right. It's not obvious until it's grotesque, he said. And one thing I love about... Lithgow's performance as Roger Ailes is it I hated him with a passion and he is completely committed to like you said skeezy giving us that view of what it's like for a man to exhibit this sort of power and to and to believe he's right to believe firmly that he is giving these women something as he tells the Murdochs at the end during his getting his severance pay, he says, I, we gave, we made these women. How dare they? And he fully believes that he is committed to this. And Lithgow sells it so well. I mean, he's in my, you know, performance shortlist for, for best of the year for this. There's a story I heard him talk about, or Jay Roach, I think, was talking about in an interview. He said, when Lithgow took the role, Lithgow was extremely excited about being a part of this project. He thought it was very important. He called every actress in the movie and told them, hey, I've taken this role. Um, 
because of the way the story is going to go, I am going to do and say things that are going to become uncomfortable for you. And it is going to be hard, even if we're acting. And I want you to know that I am doing this because I care about you and because I believe in the story we're telling and the importance of it. And I love you and I'm going to come hard, but you know, it's because we need to do this right. And when we're done, we'll hug it out and just know that I think the world of you. And I thought that was amazing. Like to have that behind the scenes information. I, and it speaks to the message that Roach and all of the producers and the women and everybody involved in this movie are trying to get across. Like that's the culture. That is an example of the culture that needs to exist. Yeah. Not it, the one that we see portrayed. And it's a commitment as actors to that portrayal. It's not Lithgow saying, this is going to get me an Oscar. It's not any of these women saying we're going to get recognized. These are, these are well-known actresses. These are credible actresses. These are everybody in this movie that has a major role. And some of these in the movie that have a minor role that like Alice and Janney who comes in and leaves. I'm like, what? You just, that was an A-lister. What, what do you use? Where'd so you, you never, you never texted me back last night when I said, oh, you know, I said, and I said, Hey, Dude, I'm watching this for the second time, and Alan Janney is Allison Janney. Wow, Allison Janney is in this movie, and I never even knew she was there. Who is she? And then later on, I texted you again because you weren't responding. I think you were asleep because it was <laughs> really problem. late. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, she's Roger's attorney." Yeah, and he surrounds himself with women who we generally have so much respect for too, as actresses. Mm-hmm. Allison Janney. Connie Britton. Yes. You know how hard it was to watch Connie Britton defend Roger Ailes? And I know it's not Connie Britton, but it's Connie Britton. Yeah. And I just was disgusted by that. Like seeing her in that role made it worse. I was disgusted by her not having a Southern accent and and not saying, hey, y'all. No, yeah, you're right. It's, I, I won't say that's by design. I think it's a testament to the fact that, that Roach wanted to include talent as a means to tell a story. And I think maybe a side benefit from all this is his way of saying, look at the success that these women have based on their, their own merits. They weren't, yes, you earn roles, but you earn, these are women that we respect and honor because of their talent and the fact that they're willing to take on these portrayals and be verbally abused and be physically abused to an extent. It's, it's powerful from an acting point of view because I don't understand the world of an actor personally. I don't know what it's like to get into the mindset. I mean, what did Charlie Stern have to do to get into the mind of, of Megan Kelly? It's a rhetorical question, obviously, because you're not Charlie Stern, but to think that all of these actors, men and women, committed to doing this speaks to the importance of that message and a willingness to be able to step into that and a determination to be able to step out of it and say that wasn't real in that moment. I I can't imagine what the aftermath was like after that scene between, between Lithgow and Robbie I mean, did they hug immediately afterwards? Did he say, I'm so sorry? Or did he stay in character because they were on day one or day four of shooting and they had like another month to do this? I mean, that's method acting for sure. 
to be able to stay in character that long. I don't know that I could do that as an actor. I don't know that John Lithgow did that. I think that it it is a commitment and it's something that we get the benefit of. But, man, you got to be cautious of that because if you're in it that much, there's a tendency to believe the script, to believe the story you're telling, to believe in the character. I have no doubt that any of these people did that. But when you face such a sensitive topic, there is that risk of believing in the narrative enough that you're like, you know what? Maybe Trump is right or maybe this guy was right. Maybe he maybe power is an important thing. And you know what? He did give those women all. Oh, I just hate to think that it's a risk. But I think it's one of those things that that's what good actors are able to do. Turn it on and turn it off in the appropriate time frames. Yeah, for sure. Well, when the lawsuit hits Roger, we see the aftermath of it within the Fox News world. And we see examples of women who are on his side, like we talked about Connie Britton's character it's his wife, I believe, uh, his attorney. They're strongly defending him. Many of the men and women in Fox News are even trying to convince Megan to do the same because she's being silent for so long. What did you think of the reasons that they had for supporting him? And how did it make you feel that the women in Fox News weren't all on the same page and weren't supporting those that were claiming sexual harassment? I think there's a lot of factors at work here. And it really, it's kind of laid out in that opening monologue that, that Theron gives us as an audience. She says that Roger did a ton for Fox when he was given the keys to the kingdom. He basically crafted the messages of Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush in a way that allowed them to get elected. Um, the opening few minutes in dealing with Trump, I think, speaks to his influence and credibility in the political arena. But even her ability to tell us about everybody being in the same building, but look at all the floors that they occupy. I mean, you have essentially kingdoms within the kingdom where you have everybody reports to eight, I think, which is where the owners of Fox are and that Rogers on two and that the newsrooms on one and that you have the, the news reporters, the anchors and their staff are on, on 17 and 18. There's a sense of separation. Um, I believe I read at one point that the scene in the elevator with Kelly Carlson and uh, Pospisil was representative of the fact that they never actually interacted in their entire career. Particularly Megan and Gretchen never came into contact with each other because they were on different shows at different times on different floors. And so I think when you have this divide of men and women supporting Roger, men and women supporting the sexual harassment cause, it speaks to the separation the sense of segregation that exists within the world of the company of Fox, that you have floors of people that believe one thing because they've been around this ideology for so long. And you have floors of other people that believe something else because they've been around that ideology. So it didn't surprise me that we had this divide. What did surprise me was, and this may have been creative liberty taken with the T-shirts and the way in which there was a lot of aggression by some of these women in particular that said, Roger puts food on your table. 
you better support him. And they're like, no. And they're like, well, you're about to go down. I mean, there's this enormous amount of aggression. And I think it speaks to the fact that Roger's rise to power, the way in which he evokes that kind of power, sends a message that he is owed something. He's the reason Megyn Kelly got to where she was. He's the reason that Gretchen got to where she was. He's the reason. He's the reason. He's the reason. That wasn't verbally re- repeated, but it was insinuated. Roger is the guy that gets you where you need to go, and you owe him in some way, shape, or form. So it wasn't surprising, but it was definitely propaganda at, at its finest. Yeah. You know, I think it's reality. There are going to be women who are willing to put up with whatever it is in order to get whatever the gain is. Um, That's just a fact. There's going to be just like there's men that are going to be sexual harassers and there are plenty of men who are not right. And you could flip the genders. Of course, we're going to talk about it in context of this movie, but men can be sexually harassed. Women can be abusers, yada, yada. The point is, I think you're right on the money. They're, they believe that they do owe Roger, and that's partially from brainwashing because of what Roger has represented to them and how he has controlled and, again, set up this culture to breed a, per, a workplace that would respond in that manner to him, that would want to support him and defend him and doesn't want to rock the boat. It is scary. We see over and over stories in this movie about women who don't have anywhere to go. Their careers are over. Jess talks about how she, you know, she took everything to get her a job at Fox, and now she can't get a job away from Fox because she works at Fox. Um, there's a powerful scene that makes me cry every time where Gretchen is talking to her lawyers and her kids walk in the kitchen and... Um, she says, I jumped off a cliff. I thought one of them would stand with me. And at that point, they haven't. We see other women and their stories recounted earlier on in the film of who have levied sexual harassment cases and they went nowhere. And Megan, when she is in that moment of it finally overtaking her and becoming angry, you know, she even says that line about how a hotline in this building is controlled by Roger and the way in which the system, much like racism, is set up to keep you from ever getting out of it. That he has control of that. And she says it's a lot like a complaint box in Occupied Paris. So there are a million reasons to not risk it. And so I get it. I don't have a lot of judgment in that case. And and I would I don't think that we're supposed to be judging people. I think it's supposed to be representing the reality that this is the culture that breeds this sort of response. And that's what we want to stop. We want women to not feel that they need to make any decision because they won't be able to advance in their careers if they don't, etc. Um and it it's infuriating and, it, and it's hard 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 to watch go down. Well, how does a person like Megan specifically come across over the course of the film? Because she is someone who, from the very beginning, she both understands, acknowledges the wrongness, 
of and yet accepts Roger's way of doing things. Did you ever feel like Megan was part of the problem? And ultimately, does her redemption and choice in the end to support Gretchen and help really bring this thing home against Roger say more that we should, you know, be proud of her? Or is it is there something more than that to it? This is why I love the fact that it's a, a triplet of of women and not just her story. She anchors this because she's the one narrating most of the movie. She opens it up. I believe she closes it, but it's about all three of them. And, you know, realistically it's about these two women and all the other women that were sexually harassed. But that, that facial expression that I mentioned earlier, where she kind of grins and she says, he's not horny. He's just ambitious. There's kind of a counterpoint to that where I don't know if she's grinning, but she she reacts to when she's giving her deposition and she sees the letter W on the desk or on the table. And she says, am I witness W? And they say, and I don't think they say yes or no. Maybe they just kind of nod. And she goes, does that mean that many women have come before me? No, they never answer her. They just look really uncomfortable like, yep. <laughs> so we insinuate that that. It's inferred. That was, yes. And she says, Oh my gosh, have that many women come forward already? To me, I think that's an acknowledgement of the fact that she's she begins to come out of this what I consider this career fog that she's been in. There was an interview that I I watched with her after I watched the movie where she mentions early on in talking about recounting her experiences with Roger, she says this happened early on. You know, he sexually harassed me and he basically established that relationship with me. But I don't believe she was ever like sexually active with him necessarily had a long running relationship. She accepted the the culture that she worked in. And you could infer that she used it to get ahead, that she said, if this is what it's going to take, I'll do whatever I can. I don't think that's the case. But she says something in the movie that I, I, I attached to. She says, I have to be an anchor first and then a woman. Now, this is early on in the movie, and what I read into that was that she cares about her career, not that she would do anything, but that she didn't – she accepted what happened early on because of maybe indirectly what it led to. She's in a place of power right now where I think she and Roger have this understanding but I think she is a little culpable to this because of the fact that she does keep quiet for so long. I think the movie depicts her as struggling with, is this right? Is it worth fighting for? Is it worth losing my career over? Because even by the end, I think she feels a little uncomfortable with the whole thing. It's not like she's raising her fist in the air saying, yes, we did it. I think she feels the victory, but then she feels like, okay, where do we go next? And that that last sequence where Jess puts the picture back in the drawer and Kayla quits her job. That's somewhat ambiguous, somewhat obvious. And I think that speaks to kind of how maybe Megan felt and that she was going, did I really do the right thing? Yes, I think I did, but wow, look, look at the negative consequences as well. And so for her, I think she 
I think she grows, but I also think she's at a place where she unintentionally was part of the problem because she had a place of power herself and she didn't take advantage of it soon enough or quickly enough. Whereas Gretchen was fully adamant about, look, this is going to happen. I'm tired of it. Megan was like, it is what it is. You can't expect other people to go to bat for you. Got to be on your own. And for her, I think it was an individual thing as opposed to I'm going to lead a revolution. Yeah. I mean, clearly she's not predisposed to leading the revolution. That's not something that she is interested in doing. And she is content in her place of power, not power, but her, her level of career achievement. And she doesn't want to see that go away, much like the women who are trying to convince her to support Roger. And that's why he find her in this middle ground. I, I would never really necessarily say culpable. Um, I, I think that she is struggling through this like any... Like a, just, just a different way of struggling through what it's like. And sure. for me, I started, I, I love the way in which the character goes through these, these, uh, events with the way that Roach frames the whole movie, because there are times when I actually thought this about her and I was like, come on, Megan, come on. Like you are, you're part of the problem. You're, you're doing them wrong. They are suffering because you won't speak up. That I think is important to recognize because that's us blaming. That's us shaming. Right. This is, you know, Megan does tell Kayla, you briefly mentioned earlier, when she goes and sits down next to her, she says, I always find it interesting who history chooses to do something important. That line in particular is really, really strong when you realize Kayla is a composite because she is talking to every single woman out there and she's saying, it is important. You are important to history when you do something. And do not think otherwise. She asks her about Roger. Kayla admits it. Kayla's like, how did you know? Megan says, we find each other. That mm, hurt me. Yeah. But there's also then where Kayla lashes back and she's like, did you think what your silence would mean mm-hmm. for us? You could have stopped this. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to look out for us. That was what you mentioned yeah. earlier. And it's not about blaming. It's about recognizing all of the different ways in which women who have been harassed have to operate within this culture and get roped into this where it's woman versus it's victim versus victim. Yeah. Like they're, they're arguing and they're worried about fighting against each other or blaming each other. It's not their fault. It is Roger Ailes's fault, right? It is the man who is in control of this culture who did this to them. Yeah. Not them. And that's sick. And I think it's really really vital that we get that amazing amazing I don't, that's a terrible word for it that scene at the end of the movie where we see megan flashback and we see her in that room and we see what went down and we see rogers asking her when's your contract up she's talking about that story and how it all started for her and you have to have that context to then understand how she's acting throughout the film and so all of this to me is continually about perspective 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 don't judge sit back and watch it take it in realize that these are how people are going to go through these situations and don't try to like the characters in the film that are being abusers don't try to control it yourself by assigning blame or 
judgment to characters in the film. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that that's important. Well, and you absolutely hit on something that I completely agree with, and that's this division of the ways in which people are sexually harassed and how you make one more important than the other. Sexual harassment is sexual harassment. It's like when we talk about sin. Sin is sin. Whether you can, if you consider stealing a sin or murder a sin, if you consider both of those sin, in God's eyes, it's the same. Definitely has different consequences and definitely has different emotional impact. But when it comes to sexual harassment, we should think that same way. It is wrong. That's all there is to it. And I think the movie really, really does this justice in the form of these three women and how they actually get harassed when you have Megan or Gretchen or Kayla, their perspectives are all valid. And that's challenging for Megan because she, as you mentioned, is seeing it in a, I wasn't harassed that way, or it's not that way for me now. And visually speaking, there's this fantastic um, edit that takes place where at the end of one scene, Megan is, saying that the investigation is limited to Gretchen and her team. They're trying to figure out kind of what's going on when, when the, uh, the lawsuit starts and Megan's asked, are you going to let that happen? There's no answer. There's just a cut to a new scene where Megan, and I think it's her producer or maybe it's her husband. They're traveling on the Holland tunnel and there's a sign that's flashing that says stay in lane. I don't think that was, Unintentional. I think that was absolutely intentional because she's asking herself that question. Do I stay in my lane? Is this my problem? It's, this isn't happening to me. I'm not getting harassed by these men. I didn't get demoted to an afternoon show that's basically dead air. I'm doing great. Now, again, I'm inferring what I think is going on in her head, but I think she's struggling with that because she's trying to figure out where does my responsibility start and where does it end? And the truth is, I think she struggles with that the entire movie, and I think she gets to that point in her own way. Her sexual harassment was different for her than it was for Gretchen or Kayla. But the origin of that is the same, and the nature of it, that it is wrong, is the same. And I think the movie is trying to say exactly what you're saying, Aaron. Stop blaming each other. Stop trying to unintentionally one-up each other and saying, my problem is worse than yours. No, your problem is on the second floor and it needs to be gone. That's where the toxicity starts. And, uh, and I really, you know, by the end of the movie, I think we get to that point. Yeah, I do too. Um, and that's, that's what makes it a great film is that we do get to the point. Um, and we go through that process with the movie. It takes us from point A to point B or Z or whatever you're in, whatever you want to, assign arbitrary letter to the ending alpha and omega or something um there's a lot of great quotes in this and, and i don't want to go through all these we're running long but there's so many great quotes in this movie and if you are listening to this and you've seen it hopefully then you probably agree i know i was scribbling them down constantly and i know that's a sign to me of a good script is when I'm like, oh, I want to remember that word for word. I want to remember that word for word, especially when I'm in a theater. It frustrates me because I'm like, I can't pause it and go back. There's a phenomenal monologue at the end of this movie from Kayla that I would have loved to just like play 
<laughs> um, or is it from Kayla or is it from Megan? I think it's from Megan. Um, I don't remember who it's from. I think it's from Megan, but where, where she's talking about the whole system that is created, this whole environment and how it takes place and what needs to be done. And, and, uh, and so I just love catching those. The one I, we've, we've kind of mentioned some of the ones that we had in our notes, but the one that we haven't really talked about yet is someone, I don't remember who says it, Patrick. Someone says how you treat people you disagree with says everything about you. It's Gretchen when she, it's after she files a lawsuit and she's in a department, not a department, she's in a grocery store and she runs the into a, come, yeah. with the baby and she goes, oh, your baby's cute. And, and the woman makes some snide comment about her. And she says, as she's the woman's walking away, she goes, how you treat people you disagree with says everything about you. I love that quote. I think it's a commentary on maybe conservative perspectives. I think it's a commentary on common decency. And I think there's more than a nugget of truth in that. Because the fact is, we live in a world with different worldviews. Even with you and I, we disagree on things. But the fact that we can talk through those things and get each other's perspective, even if at the end of the conversation, we're still on opposite ends of the spectrum, there's a level of respect and decency that exists in that. I think when it comes to talking about sensitive issues like sexual harassment, power, racism, these things that are very difficult to talk about, it really starts with a place of decency in a conversation where you're trying to get to an understanding as opposed to disrespecting people because you disagree with them. I think that's a extreme one way or the other look at how we look at people. And it's, it's gross to me. And I think this quote speaks to what we should be as human beings. I don't know that I can say that any better. I know the quote stuck out to me big time and I completely agree with you. And it's akin to what we say, you know, how you treat or nah, no, my mind just went blank and I had it a second ago. It's the old adage we use when we talk about speeding. You know, what you do when people aren't looking is who you really are. It's very similar to that. And I think that this is a very, very important little line in the movie because it's speaking to everybody. And in a movie that does kind of take some shots at conservatism, conservativism and Fox News and the way that um, the support of Trump was handled and the culture of not being able to um, ex you know, live your, your own life outwardly in Jess's case of her sexuality and, you know, whether it be religious freedoms in the workplace, things like that. In this place, it does take those shots. But I think in a way, this is also saying the same thing to those on the other side of that debate, on the liberal side, saying, listen, we may disagree, but how we treat each other matters, no matter what. Um, even when something someone is doing or choosing uh, to say is going to hurt us, we can disagree in a way that is respectful. And, um, and I just, I thought it was a really memorable quick moment too. Well, uh, connecting points, I think I am going to go first because mine came first in the movie and that's an arbitrary way of determining who goes first. If you don't mind, are you cool with that? Totally. Getting the totally, old totally. 
you the old thumbs up there for my partner who had his mic off for a second. <laughs> so I, my second connecting point, Patrick, was yours and the one that you're going to talk about. So I just want to point it out to the audience members. Audience? Think, are there our audience members or our listeners? Which It's not a both. visual medium. It's a it's an audio <laughs> medium. So Good, because my legs are not something you want to see, folks. Listen, yours was the moment of the movie, really. But the, the first part of this film that made me get real disgusted feeling was early on and I don't remember the context of how this came up I know it's, I don't know if it's Gretchen or Megan who's narrating and telling us this story but I think it's Gretchen talking to a lawyers and they're talking about uh, a reporter named Rudy Bakhtiar who had brought a suit against Fox for sexual harassment and we do this little flashback vignette and we see uh, Rudy in a business meeting in what looks to be like the lobby i think of a hotel she's having some sort of hors d'oeuvres something with her boss and he's essentially kind of offering her a promotion talking about how she can take these next steps and it's very powerful to me because he begins to ask her about taking things a little further. He tells her how he feels about her. She says she knows and tries to blow it off. And he changes that and says, no, I, I mean how I really feel about you. And he's wanting to go to her hotel room or for her to come to his. He very clearly wants to have sex with her. We'll just be blunt. And the whole scene, we are listening to Rudy narrate her thoughts. And that is what was so powerful about this moment for me, Patrick. Again, I talk about perspective. Maybe that should have been my one more takeaway, perspective. It was right there with uncomfortable. It was devastating to me. Because she goes through this whole wide swath of emotions where she's recognizing what's taking place. She's being uncomfortable. She's trying to figure out what she can do to make it go away. She starts questioning whether it's her fault. She ultimately decides to try and make it her own fault, to try and deflect what is happening and to change his attention. And ultimately, she has to resort to that and apologizes. This is one of the hardest parts is she apologizes for giving him the impression that she's interested. And this is something that men use as an, ex uh, an excuse all the time. We'll say, well, you were being suggestive. You know, I, uh, you know, your skirt was telling me otherwise. Your, you know, the way you looked at me was telling me you wanted it. So why wouldn't I come on to you? That kind of thing. And we see this play out and just being in her head, Patrick, was so, so hard. She was struggling. She was scared. And, and at the end, it comes to the point where she realizes that she's not going to get this promotion if she doesn't go through with this. And she is debating it. And she's acknowledging it in the moment of this harassment, what is happening to her. And she has no power to stop it. She has no power to make it go away. And we see her ultimately take the road of not giving in and 
he smugly sits back, takes a bite of his food, and basically it's a lose-lose for her. It's a helpless situation. She can either go through with it, be intimate with him, give him what he wants in order to get higher, get that next step up on the business ladder, or she can sacrifice her goals and her dreams and her career because she's unwilling to allow herself to be used by someone. And there's many, many more moments that kind of echo this throughout the movie, of course. But this first one just pulled me in so much that by that point, I think it made the rest of those experiences. I began to open up. I began to immediately be more ready to to see them for what they were and see all of the sexual harassment that was happening. Um, and it was like glaring with red silent sirens around it instead of just casual throwaway lines that I might've missed. And so it, it was a powerful experience for me to go through that in her shoes and see what it would be like for a woman to experience that. Yeah, it, it really, I mean, this is really getting into the mindset of a woman who is not naive to the situation, but is actually trying to navigate those waters to make sure that she doesn't miss out on an opportunity. Um, obviously we admire her integrity, but we also see the repercussions of that, which is that she goes from getting a promotion potentially to getting fired. And the grant, the bigger picture of that is uh, speaking to the fact that you don't sue Fox news. You don't sue a company because this is what happens. Of course, how it plays out is a lot more redemptive and, and we're grateful for that where I think, the moment of the movie really hits a, a powerful note. I almost picked the interview with, with Kayla because it's such an awkward moment uh, and not just awkward, but it does so much for us uh, as an audience. But I think that coupled with what I'm about to talk about really gives the movie that five-star exclamation point for me. And it's a conversation that she has with Jess. She calls her, She's on a date with the man. And I, I love the way it's framed because she's out in the cold while her date is sitting there just eating his salad. And it starts out very casual. Jess is like, what are you doing? She goes, I'm on a date. She's like, oh, with who? She doesn't answer. She says, I don't remember. I wish I could remember what the lines leading up to the line. Um, but essentially she's saying, I gave in. She's basically confessing. She's saying, Jess. I did it. I gave in to Roger to get where I was because she's moved up in the ranks a little bit. I think she's um, becoming trying to be a producer and she's she's moved out of the uh, the newsroom on the first floor. And she is, um, you know, she's she's kind of made headway. And she's talking to Jess about this and how she got there. And she starts breaking down crying. And she says something that I'll never forget. She says, I feel so filthy. And what connected me to that line was two things. One, she was saying what I was saying as an emotional connection to it, that I feel filthy with her. But the fact that she said, I, she puts essentially some of the blame on herself. She says, I did this to myself, essentially. And then she adds to it by not getting overly descriptive. She says just enough to allow us to feel the disgust that she's feeling. She says he didn't even take it out. 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? And I'm like, no, I don't even want to think about that. But I'm, at the same time, I'm like, no, I need to not know the details, but I need to accept the fact that this happened. To see Robbie break down that way, to see how she experiences this and to know that she is a representation of all these other women in actuality that experienced this in order to get ahead, in order to not lose their job, to have a reactive, a defensive posture instead of an offensive posture. It makes me feel so, so bad because nobody deserves this. Nobody. That you should be able to live your life and enjoy your job and get these accolades on your own merit, not as a victim of a power play by a guy who is completely skeezy. Um, I think it did a number of things dramatically. I think it was effective from a, from a narrative standpoint. I think it educated me on understanding from an emotional standpoint what someone else was feeling, what a woman was feeling. And I think when you couple that with the interview scene, we realized that Roger Ailes was not just a peeping Tom. He wasn't just looking for a show. He was looking to violate and do whatever he could to make sure that he truly had subordinates. He truly had women under his thumb. And it disgusts me. I mean, it ties right into my, my one word takeaway. I felt disgusted with her and I wanted her to be able to break free of that. I think the one redemptive point of that, the one redemptive fact is that she got to talk to Jess, that she got to confess that Jess picked up the phone. I love how it plays out too, because at one point she put in Jess's phone <laughs> that she put O'Reilly, oh, Bill, Bill, Bill yeah. O'Reilly's <laughs> name as her. That was hilarious. And it, yeah, it was really great. Um, and, but the way that scene plays out, I think it, it, yeah, it really does just, it completely solidifies this as a, as a great movie. Couldn't disagree with that at all, man. Well said. Well, with that, we will say goodnight to you from this installment of Feel and Film. Um, December stays packed with content over the next two weeks as we conversate on the highly anticipated conclusion to the Star Wars saga with Rise of Skywalker. And following that, we have our monthly donor pick, Die Hard, chosen by our faithful patrons. And then we'll finish out the month with coverage of Little Women. Also, Aaron's top 10 films of the year will be up on feelandfilm.com any day now, so keep an eye on the website and our social media channels for that. Aaron, thanks for a great conversation, man. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.